Welcome everybody to the 2300 Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, D.B. Richards, alongside my sweetie referee, Dave Keener. Hey, how's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, what's going on, buddy? Nothing much. So, um, I got you sweet tea today. I know, I appreciate that. I got a yeah. Coke, too. That's not sweet tea, you know I know, but my sweet tea's but there. But you're, you're not my Coke. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I got my orange juice. Yeah, yeah it's good for yeah, you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to lose that weight. Right. Eat, eat better, drink Brian's better. Brian's got a lemon lime soda. Oh, yeah, that's horrible for you. And yeah. it's that food lion, too. Oh, horrible. Ugh. Oh, what do we got on today? So, on today's show... Yes. I was doing some research on this one, oh. and this one is a WCW guy. Oh, he wrestled for WCW. Wrestled for WCW, yeah. Oh. Back in the 90s. Oh. So on today's show, we have Rip Sawyer. Hello, Rip. Hey, how are you? Hey, doing good. Pretty good. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thank you for having me. Oh, always, always. Always, thank you. We are a happy world, and we love to bring people in and all that. But, like, recently, um, crazy things happen in the wrestling world, and, and I want to pull out before I start asking backgrounds and all that stuff. Do you think independent wrestling should have background checks? on promoters, wrestlers, or anything else? Just anybody on the roster. Oh, wow. You know, I, I think that there should be uh, something. Uh, there's there's too many, uh, there's too much out there. Gosh, you know, I'm not a big government type of guy. I'm really not. You know, I'm, oh, we I'm, are I'm not, not either. Into... No, I don't, I, I'm part of my friends. I don't believe in the bullshit, so. Yeah. But, but I think that there has to be some kind of tightening of something because I, 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 I just really think that there's, it's gotten out of control as the, the, there's too much out there and it's too polluted. And, yeah. but with that being said, I, I don't want to sound like I'm like, I'm, I'm this big government guy, but I just feel like that there should be some tighter restrictions on who can get licensed and who can't. Correct. Uh, uh, because I, I'm an old school kind of guy. So you're going to get a lot of old school thinking. That's probably not going to gel with a lot of uh, today's wrestling fans or listeners or whatever you want to call them. Uh, but I, I like, rules i like strictness i like policies and stuff like that and so uh, with, with the business the way that it is i, I know for a fact that at least here in the state of virginia anybody can apply for uh, a promoter's license yeah. and I don't, so therefore i think background checks are necessary anybody can just apply to be arrested anybody yeah i don't think that's good i just don't think that's good i think that there should be uh, legitimate business wrestling schools and they have to go through a certain criteria to meet being a wrestler as well as being a promoter there needs to be background checks on promoters is this guy straight does, does he has good does he have good business dealings does he have an arrest record does he have outstanding warrants you know things like that you know yeah uh, so i think that there should be background checks and uh golly, so i guess to, to some degree the government has to be involved the only way i believe that the government has to be involved if it's good if they're protecting the people doing a service for the people, not telling the people what to do, but doing a service. So they're actually doing a service by having certain types of regulations, uh, you know, uh, for license, to be licensed. Correct. So they're doing this. I'm all for that because they're doing a service as opposed to telling people what to do and how to do it, yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I agree with you on everything you said. Um, recently, like, New Jersey has, like, a weird, um, you can, anybody can put a show on, you don't need a license or anything like that. But there was a, um, um, promoter just got um, just like found out that 20 years ago he was a child molester and he changed his name and everything five times five times and somehow 
he and this guy was going to go. He had the talent and he had the know-how and everything else for it too. So this is one of the reasons why I brought this question up. I want to hear from old school. I want to hear what the young people were talking about. I want to talk about right. this. You know what I mean? I want to make this happen in life. Because if I bring like my niece or nephews to a show, I don't want to know if the promoter or wrestler is a child molester. I want them to be safe right. at the show. You got no argument there. Yeah, I think there should be some tightening up in the business. And there, so there, right? There's a, a place up here called the Monster Factory, which is one of the most well-known training facilities. And they were talking right. about before the shows having their talent reps, medical, whatever, get checked to make sure that they don't have anything like that, which I kind of agree with. Okay. We got that question out of the way. Let's, let's get into your, um, so when you started wrestling, um, who did, who trained you? Um, when did you start and give us your, okay. Uh, that leads to, to narrow it down to just one specific person. I can't do that because I've been trained by a lot of people and but how it started was back in 1982 was when I saw Superfly Jimmy Snooker go against Ray the Cripple Stevens and G. Paul drivers were given the snook on the concrete floor and I was just amazed at this what I saw and the big red X that they had back at the time it intrigued me so I you know, started watching it every week so I wanted to become a wrestler so to cut to the chase a little bit I just kept talking about wrestling I, talking, I want to be a wrestler I want to be a wrestler but back in 1982 it was very difficult to find out how to get into the business I mean I, I just kept running my mouth and finally somebody got tired of hearing me run my mouth about wrestling he goes I know a referee that does the, that does the shows at the Baltimore Civic Center that's what it was called back at the time. Mm-hmm. And he gave it number. I hooked up with this guy. And all he did was he was really tight with the business. And he only showed me a few things. He didn't show me everything. He just showed me a bump, a lock up, a body slam. And that was about it. And then basically, I just kept, kept uh, trying to find out how to get into the business. And that's so why I broke into the business. And, and I started getting matches. And really, that's how I learned was just getting into the ring and, and training. Not really training. I didn't know anything, really. And, you know, I'd go against guys like the Rock and Roll Express. I didn't learn how to work a match. But that's how I started to learn how to work a match was just stepping into the ring with being booked up against guys like Rock and Roll Express, uh, the, uh, the Fantastics, and, and other such guys on, on the independent level. That's really making the story short. There's a lot of in between, but you know, I don't want to go too long winded on such things unless you ask specific questions. God, you got how was it working with the Rock and Roll Express? That's kind of cool hearing that kind of stuff, matches in the beginning. It, it was scary uh, because me and my partner, we we just knew how to take bumps. We didn't know how to really work a match. And we were working with an independent league in Virginia, uh, Virginia Alliance, DWA is what they were called. I can't remember if it was Alliance or Association. And David Lehigh was the promoter and he's a great guy and he just had a lot of faith in it. Why he had a lot of faith in it, I don't know because like I said, all we just knew how to do was throw clotheslines, uh, do leaf balls, hit toss, but we didn't know how to work a match. And so, but he thought we were great and he was like, I'm going to make you guys our champions and we're going to pick you up against the Rock and Roll Express, which was our first big time major stars that we worked against. And so when we, it was at the show place in Virginia, which was just outside of Richmond, or maybe inside Richmond, I can't really recall. And we met them and basically we were like you know okay so what do we want to do and they were like well we'll just do it in the ring and that, that scared the crap out of us because 
we didn't know what to expect because a lot of our stuff was, you know, talked about, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. Not with them. They didn't want to talk anything. As a matter of fact, before we even raced up our boots, Robert Gibson looked at me and he goes, and I admit, I'm going to take it that he meant it as good advice, uh, but he said, you have a full-time job? And I said, yeah. He goes, well, don't leave it. <laughs> I don't know if he meant it as an insult or as good advice or as both, you know. But so we stepped into the ring and we didn't know what we were going to do. We were scared because these are pros and we were licensed and all that, but we weren't really pros at that point, if you want to call it that. And before we even entered the ring, some fan or Mark, whatever you want to call him, grabbed Ricky by the hair, pulled him over the guardrail, and they, and they started this fight. And they finally broke him up. Ricky beat the heck out of that guy. And <laughs> but Ricky's axed up and everything. And we get to the ring, and I'm scared. I'm scared. You know, because I don't know what to do. And we didn't know how to work the match. So it really, the match didn't go good. We were, that, that match was done within five minutes because they knew that we were green. They got, there, they got in there, they did their job, and they lost. That's all, that's all they wanted to do. But back then, things were different in how the experience handled the green guy. And they didn't tell us anything. So that was a learning experience right there. So kind of digress a little bit. I forgot what the question was. But. Yeah, that's kind of fun when you do everything on the call, too. Funny thing is, Ricky well, Morton's going to be up in our area in a couple weeks. So it'll well, be really cool to see him. And I'll mention that. We talked to you. Yeah, Rick Story, the cream team, and asked him about that uh, that first match where the fan grabbed them and they started fighting. <laughs> I, I definitely will. That would be a yeah. cool, cool thing to try to talk about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Actually, out of all the things that I've learned, they actually taught me the biggest lesson in wrestling, uh, and that was respect. Because I really don't think that me and my partner at that time had a whole lot of respect for for the business. Uh, we were fairly arrogant, fairly cocky, and let's put it this way, I thought we got pushed way too soon for our experience, and that just blew our heads up, because we were getting booked against a lot of big-name stars, and that just blew our heads up, like we were really on to something. And, but that episode with them really taught me a lesson about being humble. It took me a while to learn it, but I'll never forget it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Right. I was always told, um, there's a guy, we know Magic. Magic was always he said be humble yes be humble he said um right. shake everybody's hand shake everybody that's um making your food for the fans and all the stuff to say goodbye to everybody and it was it was a learning experience for the lack of repeating myself but a lot of things were thrusted in, in, in mind of my partner's face i mean it it really happened fast and I don't know why, but it did. And we learned a lot. And as we went on, we really got better. I probably would give more kudos to Bobby Fulton for really teaching us how to work a match. We had a lot of matches against him and uh, Tommy Rogers, and then later to uh, Bobby's brother, Jackie. I had a lot of great matches with them. Um, and then the Midnight, uh, uh, one half of the Midnight Express, um, Dan Lane, Jim Cornette, they would tag with uh, a local legend by the name of Southern Gentleman, Jeff Collette, and they called themselves a the new Midnight Express. And we had a lot of of matches against them so we really learned a lot how to hone our prayer oh my gosh and, and yeah yeah <laughs> that, that's so awesome great names you just called out too See, I remember all this because I, I like, like he said, old school. Like yeah. I grew up watching USWA Mid South, but back then it was all like tape traders. Like here, watch this on VHS. And like growing right. up and watching the Midnight Express, the Fantastics, the um, what was John Laurinaitis, Johnny Ace, and all those guys. Mm -hmm. Watching them, like I like when I heard we were getting Rip Sawyer on, like cool. Like I watched WCW back then. I watched all growing up. And it was, it was kind of cool about all that. Um, so that leads me into a question that's kind of a mainstay here with us. And 
It's called Table of Five. So you're the fifth person at the table. You can pick four other people to be at the table with you. Who would the four other people be? In the restaurant business, who would the four It, it doesn't matter. It could be anybody. Four other people with you at the table. Okay. Um, you kind of broke up a little bit. Repeat that question so I can understand it fully, please. Sure. So it's the Table of Five. You're the fifth person at the table. There are four okay. other people at the table with you. They can be wrestling, not wrestling related, anybody. It doesn't matter. Okay. okay. All right. So four other people. Right. On the fifth case. So numbers two and three. I'll do one and two last. Um, okay. Uh, numbers two and three. I'll make, I'll make them wrestlers. Um, uh, I'm going to say Ray the Crippler Stevens. He had a. He had a. He impacted me more than Jimmy Snooker did. Although Jimmy Snooker was the one that, like, I was really into. But what made Jimmy Snooker great was Ray the Crippler Stevens because he was such a great heel at what he did. So, and he was just, and he did not have the muscular body or anything like that and, and didn't speak very well. But, man, that guy was vicious in the ring and he and he, and he scared the crap out of me. So, uh, God rest his soul, uh, Ray the Crippler Stevens, uh, maybe Vince McMahon because I, I just don't understand his thing. I like to pick his brain a little bit, and probably number one will, at, 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 the, at the front end will be Jesus Christ, and at the other end will be uh, Lucifer. Okay, that that's pretty cool. <laughs> you put the devils in the table. Huh? <laughs> right, you got that, that's the face, and you got the heel. <laughs> right, the, the one true face and the one true heel. Oh, good. Right, right. That's that's a new one too. I love it. I like that table. That's awesome. So, um, I'm a big fan of um pet peeves and in the business like do you have any pet peeves in the business yeah um golly a lot of them (laughs) (laughs) but um well, uh, don't want to use the word marks because I guess it's insulting, but I just really hate it when fans are just there to criticize the show instead of enjoying the show. And there's a different set of fans, I guess, now than there was back then because it really seemed to me that the fans really enjoyed it. But now I don't really watch pro wrestling anymore because it seems like if anything goes wrong, fans are right there being these keyboard warriors or armchair quarterbacks, whatever you want to call it, and they're Correct. typing in this and they're doing that, and it's and it just drives me crazy when I read this stuff on Facebook. And, and it's a, I don't like it. Just appreciate it for what it is. You know, it's something. Well, it takes like, for, for instance, the, uh, the, the debacle that happened last week at AEW with the, the pyro uh, not going off and the fans were billing it. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think that was, I didn't like that. But then here's my other pet peeve on the other side. Wrestling is so overproduced that when you got to have stuff like that, something's bound to go wrong. You can't cover it up, you know. And it's like, it's so I got this pet peeve about wrestling being overproduced where it looks like a, you're going to a Kiss concert, but you're actually watching a rock and roll, uh, a wrestling show. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I can't take that. And, and I can't, and I don't like it when wrestlers come out like they're rock stars. <laughs> they come out like a wrestler. <laughs> rock star. <laughs> you know, and, and, oh gosh, what else? Uh, I'm, I'm sure pet people will come up as, as we talk even further. Oh my yeah, gosh, um, I have one for you. Um, in today's world, wrestling. Yeah, fans, I hate the same one you're gonna say. The wrestling fans get on their phones when the wrestlers are in the ring wrestling, putting on an amazing match, and they're on their phones looking at their phones the whole time, typing and blah blah blah. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, come on, there, get off your phone. I screamed at somebody. There's a wrestler up here named Mike Law. Mike Law, I saw him do it. He was in the middle of the match, stopped the match, got out of the ring, grabbed the phone, and said, watch the match, and got back in the ring. <laughs> oh, good for, good for him. Now, here's another set. Uh, I guess it's because times have changed, but I can't change with the times when it doesn't make sense with me. If it makes sense, I can change. It just 
has to make sense when I look at it. And I'm just the type of guy, two plus two equals four. It just right. has to add up. And I can't get into today's style of wrestling because to me, it's nothing but a circus, a choreo stuntman show. Yeah. That's all that it is. And there's no story involved. There's so many spots. And I've been guilty of it. I have been guilty of incorporating too many spots without telling the story. But it's a proven fact. I've proven it time and time again that telling the story without having it be so choreographed works. It still works to this day. And I just get tired of seeing all these spots that just doesn't make it. That's, that doesn't make any sense. That's not believable. That's not believable. If we could make it believable, we're never going to go back to the days when fans actually believe it. But if you make it believable, you could still put them in a state of suspended imagination to where they can believe it for that 15 minutes that they're watching and they're into it. And they know that it's all... Uh, lack of a better term, choreographed. So they, they know what they're getting, but they're so into it because the story is compelling. The story is more compelling than all those stunts that they do. I just, I, it's just, that's just a pet peeve of mine. And I know that, uh, golly, if some of the wrestling fans are listening to this, they're probably going to give me hell for it. Call me an old man, go back, my old shoe and old mother Hubbard cupboards and all that <laughs> stuff. And just, you know. <laughs> Uh, there's just nothing in there that, that, that captivates it. Tully Blanchard proved He proved it last week when he did his tag team match with those fellows, Jungle Boy and, and, and the other guys. Luchasaurus. Tully, Tully Blanchard proved that working old school still works. Here's his old man, and he's in there wrestling, and one of the fellows was out in the ring. Tully Blanchard goes to hit the ropes like he's going to dive over the ropes, and I'm watching it, and he worked. He worked me big time. <laughs> I watched him hit the ropes, and I thought, he's going to freaking jump over the ropes in his age. And he stopped and did his little strut. And he worked my ass so much in that that I laughed and I applauded it at the same time. So it still works. Yeah. If he can work me, it can work. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's what's missing is old school wrestling. I, you know... I agree. I forget who I was watching. I think Bobby Eaton talked about it. Bobby Eaton was saying, there's the story. It's like a movie. When you go out there, you got the opening, you got what's happening in the middle and everything, and then you got the climax. And that's the way the movie, that's the way the match should be. Tell the story. Go out there, have fun with it, but tell a story. Wrestling these days, like, no offense, I, I have a lot of friends that are doing this and everything else, but they're doing hardcore matches, but there's no follow-up for it. There's no story. Why are we doing a ladder match? Why? How do we get to this ladder match? Yes. Yeah. It's not there. You know, I talked about this all the time. Right. So I'm saying, goes back to Shawn Michaels and Razor. There were four of the matches before that that led up to that ladder match. Correct. There's nothing. Like, hey, I want to wrestle you. Let's do a, a thumbtack match. Why? Exactly. Exactly. Why? And here's another test piece. I guess. Yeah, I told you I'm going to remember. So we got all day, brother. You're cool. <laughs> I worked. Another pet peeve is guys that say that they're old school and you try, or, or they want to learn the old school stuff and you try to teach them that, but they don't listen. And you just, I, I just shake my head in despair. Uh, just like, for example, several years ago, a fellow that I knew I worked with, he wanted to build this feud up locally area with this one guy and he was a face and they built this angle up uh, in several shows. Six months later, uh, nothing's happened, but a show gets booked about an hour away in another town. Now, now we know wrestling in the Independently, on a lot of these levels, draws barely 50 feet to these shows. But six months later, another show's booked, and this this fellow wants 
to wrestle his enemy again an hour down the road, maybe even further down the road, and it's a strap now. And I looked at him and I said, why? Well, because we did this and we did this. I said, that was six months ago in another town. You really think people are going to remember what happened six months ago, let alone it was in another town, and you're 100 miles away in the next town, and nobody has no idea what the heck you're beating each other with a belt for. <laughs> we, we did a show. When I was when I was managing a couple of guys, we did a show in like upstate New Jersey, and then went to Delaware, two different areas. And then we walk up to them, like, "What do you want to do tonight?" We'll do the same thing we did in New Jersey. Nobody was there. I'm like, "Okay, why not?" Right. Walked out to the crowd, and I knew nobody was there. So we did the same exact match that we did three hours away four weeks before, and it still got over. So is that like in the old school ways? Because I'm I'm an '80s kid, and so am I. So didn't you guys go to different territories, do the same kind of match everywhere you went, and then? I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'm an '80s kid. So I watched WWE going going forward, and WCW later on, and then ECW came life. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> sorry. What, what did you say? ECW became life. Yeah, it became life. Yeah. Um, like different territories, like you, you wrestle the same person here and then you go to the next one, you wrestle the same people there, same kind of match. And then you go back to that same place, you put in a null match and you use like a ladder or not really a ladder, but bull ropes and stuff like that. And so well, as long as, uh, yeah, um, I've recently wrapped up, well, not recently, it was a year ago. It was, it was actually my last match and then due to the COVID thing, nothing's happened, but I wrestled, <laughs> I was invited to do come to this one company about two and a half years ago and I said okay I'll come back under these conditions and I didn't want to sound egotistical or arrogant or anything like that it's just that now that I'm at the age of 56 there's certain things that I'm going to do and certain things I don't want to do and I can pick and choose what I want in order for the show to be good Mm -hmm. and so we built up this angle with this one fella and we wrestled each other I don't know how many times but we were building that story in that area and I suggested we could take it to other areas same thing in other areas and we and we could have really really uh did a territorial thing like in the old days and really had something great if that answers the question yeah that's all i was thinking about yeah the more we wrestled the better we got the very last match that we had unfortunately was his last match because that i know of because he he, assumed, he passed away back in december that last match that we had was so good that we were telling the story and it was all low fans were following it and it was so good that they did like a little commercial for it for some for some local news thing or something like I can't, I can't recall but during our match you could see a group of little kids just like getting very frustrated with, with me because I was cheating they kept saying I was cheating I was cheating I was cheating <laughs> so they were getting into it and that's because they were all following that storyline and they got into it and they bought it and it would have been great if it, we could have continued elsewhere and, and uh, we, we could have Stuff. Gosh. But unfortunately, due to COVID, yeah, they, they cut things short. Yeah. How how's everything? Your family and everybody with the whole COVID thing going on? Like you guys are all safe? Well, well yeah. Uh, my two daughters that had it. My children. Uh, one one grandchild had it. Uh, but yeah, but they got through it okay. It wasn't as bad as some people have had it, but everybody was okay with it so far. That's good. I'm I'm happy to hear that. Um, my my wishes to the, be everybody in your family be healthy and everything else. I'm vaccinated. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that works, huh? Okay. Right. You want to ask a question? Sure. Did that one. Okay. All right. So I heard a story that Ricky Morton was one hell of a pranker. Um, so I'm friends with another old school wrestler, a guy by the name of Chris Hamrick. 
I'm not sure if you know him or not. And he was always getting ribbed on by Ricky Morton, and it was always fun. So do you have any ribs or pranks that people did to you or you did to them? Uh, well, I, don't, I can't mention on the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. There was... I would do silly stuff like if someone was taking a shower and dropped that bucket of ice water on them or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. There was one boy last summer, or was it the summer before last? Uh, he got chewed out by the promoter because he was being a little prima donna back in the locker room. So the next month when I saw him, I told the promoter, I said, hey, tell him that his match is changing. He's going to go up against me. And then have, have some of the boys go up to him and say, who are you wrestling? He's going to say, I'm wrestling Rip. Have them boys say to him, Oh, he's known as to being a shooter. Oh, I feel sorry for you. You know, so we I was going to shoot on him in the ring. And then I could hear him in the background saying, I hear he's going to shoot on me. Why? And then I, I went up and I said, because I'm going to tell you why. And I started throwing all the, the F-bombs at him and that updates and almost brought the boy to tears. And then suddenly, you know, we, we let him know that he was just being sport. And he was a good sport about it. After. That was one of the ribbons. That's funny. Uh, but it was, I, was, I don't want to say I was involved in it, but it was probably one of the best ribs I was a part of, if you want to say that. But I was involved in a battle royal. And uh, it was at uh, one building that was really big for a flea market. And I can't, I had to been winter time. And this one fella was in the, he got thrown out of the ring early. And he was so he goes to the back of the room. But then there was this foul, foul odor that was so bad that even the fans were getting up and leaving. And we were starting to say, oh, throw me out, throw me out. I can't think it. Was, it was gross. The guy that got thrown out that I mentioned earlier took a dump in the bucket, held it up by the door where the cold air was coming in. And was pushing the... <laughs> so I was a wonder if that, that, that literally cleared the ring where the battle royal was over within 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's great. It's funny because he's he's answering the questions that we have on the list, mm-hmm. and we didn't even answer them yet. I, 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 and, well, the ribs that I would I would I would do were very short and quick. I never believed in carrying something out so long that you let a person walk away, and you know, believing it, that it wasn't a rib or anything. But I, and I would do you know silly small stuff like oh, like a one time X Pac was in a show with me and. He remembered me from years ago and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we, we talked, you know, we were pretty cool with each other. And somehow a wrestling fan got back into the locker room and she started talking to him and, and he kind of, she kind of like cornered him. And he goes, hey, do you remember me? He goes, no, I don't remember you. And you know, she goes, yeah, it was such and such. And then I popped there and said, sure you do. You remember her. You were with her that night. And she's like sitting there agreeing with every lie that I was making up. You know, <laughs> so I kind of like had him pigeonhole to where he you know he had to run because he didn't know how to handle the girl that i was agreeing with that he was with oh my gosh that's so great i i, I am a big rib fan on dave over here what kind is it? like what kind of ribs the barbecue ones like barbecue yeah i, I always rib him every time <sighs> every time in the morning i wait it's like seven o'clock in the morning Yep, I'm at your door. Bringing me some goddamn donuts. You're gonna knock on my door that early. Mm-hmm. So I got, I got a question. I want to try to do a non-wrestling thing. So it's, it's called. Um, Dave likes to do this five question of doom thing. <laughs> so I'm getting waiting for him to start doing it, and then hang on. It's something fun. Okay, well, fire away. I'll talk next. Okay. All right. Are you ready? You ready? Do the whole entrance. Are you want to do the whole entrance? Okay. Yeah, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the five questions. Oh, no. See, that's how much I love it. You know what I mean? He does that, and I'm like chills everywhere. It's like, 
Okay, you ready? Question yep. number one. Favorite Halloween costume when you were a child? Repeat that, please. Favorite Halloween costume when you were a oh, child? Halloween costume when I was a child. Um, probably uh, Gene Simmons. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. Okay. Ready? Question number two. Okay, what do I got? What TV show do you stream, like on Netflix or um, HBO Max or Disney Plus or any any of them? <laughs> Platforms. Does that have to be recent? It could be. It could be recent. Could be. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, well, recent was watching um, Ozark series for the second time around. Uh, but one that I consistently watch on a daily basis with Netflix and over and over again. Yeah, and Ozark is a good show. Thanks that they didn't keep it. I think they're canceling. They got one more. They got one more season coming up. Okay, ready? Yeah. Question number three. What decade do you want to live in? Like, you can pick, like, what, 1990s, the 70s, 60s, 50s? I'd go back to the 80s again. No, because knowing what I know now, I'd go back and uh, uh, would, would get into wrestling a lot earlier to learn the art of that business back then because that's that was the best decade of wrestling, in my opinion. And... um Relearn it all over again and get into those territories and you know the southern uh, wrestling and all that. That was some great stuff back then. I'd, I'd go back and plus the music was great too. Oh yeah, I still go back like uh, watching the network. I'll go back and I'll watch like the old school wrestling from like 1982 when Mark Calloway made his debut as um, the Master of Pain. Oh, nice. right. right. So I'll still go back and watch all that. I like that. It was the best decade all around for entertainment. My opinion. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Question number. Okay, Wilma Flintstone or Betty Rubble? Probably Betty Betty Rubble because she couldn't have any kids. That was a good one. Oh, that's a good. One. Oh, I'm I'm done. Thank you, everybody. Have a nice day. Thank you. Good night. Enjoy the meal. Okay. Okay. Question, Question number five. Favorite '80s movie? That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Favorite '80s movie. I'm trying to think of one that stood out. Um, I'm going to probably have to go with Alien. Alien. Let's go. With I love Ridley Scott. That is a good one. I was watching that the other night. Oh really? He did it only came to Mark and read an article about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember how intense that movie was back then. Oh, yeah. They're putting out a documentary coming out this year. Oh, really? Yeah, about it and everything. What was yours, real quick, DB? 80s? 80s. Yeah. 80s movie? Ugh. So hard. Um, you want to know what mine was? It has to be Ghostbusters. I love the Ghostbusters. Mine was Masters of the Universe. No, put that back. Put it back in the wall. Yeah, it was so bad. but it was so, like It's up there with, like, Howard the Duck. Like, they were so bad, <laughs> but they were so good. I got you. You know? I own them all. Uh. <laughs> Ready for the next question. Okay, where sure. are we at? Okay. Do you have any road stories that you could talk about that's fun? Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could say they were fun at the time, but when you talk about it now, they're funny. You know, yeah. a, there was a Canada road trip that was a, a disaster. There was, I think I'll talk about the overseas trip I took. That's That was probably the more interesting one, but... Me um, and my partner were booked to go and wrestle what was supposed to be Saudi Arabia at first. And then it got changed to another one of the NARAP countries. I can't recall. But then when we got to the airport, we were going to Lebanon. They're like, okay, so back then you didn't question anything. You just went along with it. You know, you're, you're supposed to be a good boy and all that. And so we fly into Switzerland. We, and then we get on to another plane. And then we get into Lebanon. And 
trying to think who was on that plane. Um, Wendy Richter was there. Um, I think his, his last name was Perez. I'm thinking it was Al. Yeah, it was Al, Al Perez. Perez. I remember Al. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the, the last, I can't get all their names correct, but the last Von Eric uh, fellow that's still alive, what was his name? Kevin. Kevin. Okay, he was there. And Ted Petty, who was wrestling as the Cheetah Kid, who went on to... Rock uh, that, Rock. That tag. Yeah, Rock and Rock, right. And, and I wrestled Ted Petty a few times back in the day, so him and I, you know, would, would sit next to each other on the flight and all that. And um, so we get over to Switzerland, and then we switch planes, and we go into Lebanon. And as soon as we land in the Lebanon, um, one of the officials, government official, gets on the plane, and he says, well, we need your passports. Well, the daughter of Debbie Coons, Coons, I can't pronounce, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, she was wrestling, and it may have been Debbie Coons herself, I don't recall. See, that's how bad my memory is on some names. It's okay. It was one of the two. She says, no, 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 you can't do that. And everybody's like looking at her going, what? Because everybody's getting ready to pull out their passports. She goes, because we're not supposed to be in this country. <laughs> like, she goes, yeah, you get them passports stamped, and then we go back to the state. We're going to get in some big trouble because we're not supposed to be in this country. And so we wonder why the hell are we here? You know, so basically, for the lack of a better word, we got smuggled into that country. Oh, I kid you not. I kid you wow. not. And that's why there was last-minute changes as to where we were going, where it started off in one country to another country, and then finally, oh, we're going, when we're in Switzerland, we're going over to Lebanon instead. <laughs> so then we're like, well, this ain't good. So there's there's a few of us that are saying, you ain't taking our passport. Well, then they said, okay, listen carefully what I'm going to say and see if you can pick up on this. They said, if we don't stamp your passports, you can still come into our country, but we cannot forget, guarantee your safety and give you security. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like you're not seeing our safety and you're not giving us security and that was pretty scary right there because now here we're going into one of these Muslim countries and we're not guaranteed anything you know so we go inside uh, the airport area and it's discussed what are we going to do and there was a there might have been about 20 of us 30 of us on this plane and a handful of us said we're not going you know take the port we'll stay here uh but we're not going because they're not guaranteeing our safe and these some of these guys are like well we need a paycheck i don't care i need my life you know it was a lot of this place kamala was on it too kamala wasn't going to take the safety offer either he wanted to go back and um so we're sitting in this airport and the, the government of officials were getting a bit frustrated with us and they're not telling us anything. Then they take our luggage, we don't get our luggage, and then they bring in their guard. But they're right watching us. And they're literally standing in front of us. We're sitting in chairs and they won't let us go anywhere. And at one point I was like, Man, I gotta go to the bathroom, you know. <laughs> and they, they would let us go and they let me go and they escorted us with two guards with guns while we went to the bathroom. <laughs> and this was pretty scary at this and so I came up with this idea to, to loosen tensions. We had a ton of promo pictures. And back then we also had our Polaroid forward camera so we could make a quick easy dollar, get your picture taken with the wrestling here, you know, cost you a good effort five out and your pole. It was great gimmicks back then. That's when technology exists and it made and without technology, we made some pretty good money back then. But now you, you can't sell you know sell selfies anymore, you know, because everybody's got their cell phone wanting to take a picture. Kills kills the money make business, that's for sure. But um so I had this idea. We had pack of Polaroids and uh promo pictures and we started I said I said 
said to my partner, said, do you mind if I give these out? It might be some tensions. He says, brother, do what you got to do. He goes, because I'm scared. I, he goes, I don't know what the heck's going on. So I started handing out our eight by tens, people all around, and they were real friendly at that point. And the two guards had escorted me to the bathroom. I showed them I had a polar and I wanted the picture taken. And they were like, okay. You know, they didn't say okay, but they understood what I was saying. And I had them hold my arms up like they were taking me in custody and point their gun at me. And they're smiling. So that, that eased the tensions right there with, with the people that were guarding us. So eventually, after about a day being there, they decided they're sending us back all of us. There's going to be no tour. So you got about 10 of us that were ready to go back home. And then you got another remaining 10 or maybe 15 more that were mad at us because they weren't getting a payday. Well, we're not either, but hey, you can thank us for living, that's for sure. Yeah. So we all get on the and we sit down, and there's other uh, Lebanese passengers there. And uh, I'm sitting next to Ted Petty. And then they say something in their language, everything ever thought. And then all the people started getting up and leaving. Well, we, we thought we should follow suit. So we got up. And as we started walking down the aisle, they said in English, all American passengers get back into your seat. And we sat down. We were, like, scared, you know. And they had to sit there by ourselves for two hours on that plane. And then they, uh, the other Lebanese people came back on board. They sat down. The plane starts to take off. And it goes down the runway. Then it stops. It backs up. U-turns. Goes back to the airport. And I was like, we're not getting out of this country alive. And Ted Petty looked at me. And he said, you know, I've been in this business a long, long time. And he goes, and I've been all over the world. I've been on dozens, dozens of plane rides. And he goes, but I've never experienced anything like this and I can tell you for the first time in my life I'm scared <laughs> and that didn't make me feel good my partner had some sleeping pills and I never took sleep pills whatever pills he had they were going to knock you out immediately and when Ted Petty said that we were just about ready to take off and I looked at him and I had this pill in my hand and I said you know these people are known for blowing up planes and they're also willing to sacrifice their own at the same time so I'm going to go to sleep think through this thing wake me up when we should ever land safely in Switzerland. I took the pill, swallowed it, and I was out. Next thing I knew, we were back in Switzerland. Oh, thank God you got out of there. Yeah. Well, it was a scary situation. And it just so happened that the day we landed in Switzerland was the day that Benny Hill died. I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there drinking this weapon. Oh. That's what I found out. Comedy hero. Dave, your turn so, to ask the question. That's nothing with that. Oh, Dave, said, Dave has a question to ask, and he's okay. writing something up. Okay. I'm going to skip over that. Okay. Do you have a geek out moment? A what? A geek out moment, like running into somebody famous or anything like that, and go, "Oh my god!" Oh gosh. yeah, let's just put it this way. I'd, I'd call it a mark out. Yeah, yes, that's what we usually call it. Everyone, to some degree, we have some level of mark in us, and that includes me and anybody else. And I had a couple of them, uh, but the one that stands out for me was that I went to this nightclub and I was just training to be a wrestler um, at a school that lasted about two months. He took my two thousand dollars and scrammed. But anyhow, I was. Was, was I was training and I was at this nightclub and it just so happened that uh, the NWA wrestlers at that time were in this nightclub and I ran into Lex Luger and I was like oh wow I was like I acted like a mark <laughs> <laughs> and I could tell that I was bothering him <laughs> and I said yeah I've been training right now to be a wrestler and he looked at me and goes well best of luck to you <laughs> I walked away, you know, knowing that I was an idiot, you know. So yeah, I had, that was that was my mark out moment right there, <laughs> back in the pub. Oh my gosh! Speaking of Lex Luger, what was it like to be a part of WCW? Okay, when I was there, I'm not sure he was in that roster at that time. I was with him at Sid Garrison under 
WWF were upset in the locker room with him a couple times. Uh, so he, when I was there in WCW, Lex Luger wasn't wasn't on that on that on that roster at that time. So what was the question again? <laughs> what was it like being there? Well, being there, ah, golly, you know that that atmosphere was a lot different than WWF at the time. It just to me, it wasn't as friendly, and you could tell that there was there was some struggling on. Now this was before the Nitro Wars or, or the. The Nitro and, and Raw War. So we're talking like 90, 93, 94 maybe. Yeah, 93, 94. So they weren't drawn very well at that time, you know. And uh, it, it just, it wasn't horrible, but it, it wasn't, I felt more relaxed in the WWF locker room than I did at the WCW locker room at that time. Now, how was the WWE locker room? Um, a lot of the wrestlers would, you know, acknowledge it. You know, they, uh, like Shawn Michaels, uh, Evan Nash, all the ones from that period. Uh, yeah. They, they would all say hi to you as they walked by. That doesn't mean they sat and talked with you or anything like that, but some of them would. It was, a, it was more relaxing. I felt less K-Saved in the WWF, although they were, to a degree, K-Saved in me, and I get that, but I was less K-Saved in the WWF than I was WCW. So let's move on down to the best advice that any wrestler given to you. Best advice. I can't. A lot of them gave me the best advice. And, and some of it was unintentional. The way the Rock and Roll Express treated us and made me think about how our attitude was. That was great advice, although they weren't really given it. Um, Jim Cornette gave us some, some good advice on listening to the audience and, and conducting and all that stuff and uh, learning how to work with the audience in, in terms of pacing out your match. So Bobby Fulton taught us how to work a match. Great advice right there. Uh, so I can't really say that one person gave me the best advice because out of these people that I've mentioned, that was, you know, the best advice I've ever got. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. one, does, one doesn't surpass the other in terms of the, the best advice. I learned a heck of a lot listening to these guys back then. So with all that, what did you do in your off time? What do I do in my off time? Yeah. Back now or back then? Now, back, back then. Now, back then. Now, uh, I had my own Painting contracting business. I work for myself. I don't have any employees. I like being by myself. I live in the, uh, the Shenandoah Valley about, oh, four hours, three and a half hours away from Maryland. Uh, and I just live by myself. And if anything comes up that, that, that I like, I'll, in terms of wrestling, I'll do it. Uh, back then, what did I do on my off time uh, was... Really, back then, my own time was all wrestling. You know, if, it, if I wasn't out on the road, I had to go to work at my regular job. And then, But in the evenings, it was go to the gym um, and lift weights and go to the wrestling, the nearest wrestling school and, and train. So that's all that I did. So I didn't really have it all turned. It was all that. Yeah. Nowadays, it's uh, I still go to the gym. I still work out. You know, um, if there was a, a, a wrestling school around here, I'd probably still go to it and, and still hone my craft some more. But that that's not around here anymore. So there is my one. Own. It's in Maryland, though. Maryland Championship Wrestling. Um, I don't know where Maryland. Oh yeah, I wrestled a few shows with them there. Yeah, but that's you know. But I'm 56 years old, so you know traveling four hours to, to just do some training when I'm not even really relevant wrestling anymore is not uh, useful to me. And so I'm only going to do something that's really local. And if there was a school that was local, I'd still be involved in it to some degree. I'm not, I'm not traveling four hours just to go train when MCW doesn't even have the slightest interest in me anymore. And right away, so I get it. I'm a fan, you know, so <laughs> I don't mean nothing to them. So. Right. That's just a waste of time. Oh, yeah. So what was your favorite match you ever been in? Favorite match. 
Conway. Uh, against a no-name would be my very last match that I mentioned earlier with Porkchop Johnson where we were really just starting to learn how to read each other and work a match and have control of the audience and dictate how that match should go. And um, that was my favorite. It was my last one. So I guess I'd say if that is my actual last one, it did end on a good note. Sad that the guy fell a past on, but it was my best match against uh, a no-name. Against, uh, against a name, I had a lot of good ones against uh, Bobby Fulton and uh, the Midnight Express. I had a really good match against the, uh, the, the legit Midnight Express in Norfolk. Bobby and Stan, minus Jim Cornette, he couldn't make it. Had a really good match with them. That was really good. So, golly, it probably would have been that okay, one. Okay. It, it was, although it didn't, I kind of remember there was a, a, the opening of that match, they didn't play our music right. They played it too loud. And, and, and I came out <laughs> because they messed up our music. And, uh, and it was too loud. It was so ear piercing. I know what. And Stan Lane gave me some advice not to come out, come out like I'm the road warrior. <laughs> 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 the match itself was good. Oh, so yeah. yeah, that was probably one of my favorite ones with with uh, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. I really like that. And, but there were a ton of good ones with uh, with Bobby Fulton and Brother Jackie. That's but, awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh! This is going to be it my is. last question. Uh, are you doing that I one? I had a good. Let me back that up. Also, I had a good one with Rick Martell up in Pennsylvania. Oh, that really? Was really went well. Where at yeah. Pennsylvania? Somewhere I'm thinking in Hanover. Hanover. I'm thinking Hanover. That, that would be. I think yeah. that'd be. That's Alpha. I think. Yeah. Who? Which company was that? Do you remember? Kind of think. It was an office company. No. Um, the guy's name was. I, I can't remember. I, I don't. I don't recall. I just know that the fellow's name was Mark, and then not long after that, he he passed away. He fell asleep at the steering wheel. And that's his car. Uh, I, I the company. ACW, maybe? It may have been called ACW. American Championship Wrestling? Maybe. It's in Wikipedia. Yeah. Somebody put something on Wikipedia, and they pretty much got a lot of the stuff right. It talks about uh, ACW, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah I, so I had a good match with Rick Marcel. That was really good. I was nervous about that. You know, Redburn, another legend. You know, I was really starting to get booked against some legends in singles matches. You know, Ivan Koloff, Rick Martel, Chris Benoit was mm. another one. Uh, wow. That, that I worked. And that was on a fluke because somebody didn't show up. So they asked me to wrestle Chris. And, and that went well. So yeah, I had some pretty good matches against some uh, some legit stars, and you know I was kind of working my way up there, you know, uh, getting getting a good name built up against uh, in a singles match. So I had some pretty good. Chris Benoit, Rick Martel, uh, the the legit Midnight Express, and uh, Fantastics with Jackie and, and Bobby. So one of the reasons why I um, <laughs> got you on to the show is the main reason. The main reason, because um, Bay Ragney was telling a story. Chubby Dudley. Chubby Dudley, yes. Can we talk about the cream team? <laughs> as long as it doesn't get dirty. <laughs> <laughs> you laughed about it. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about them. I hate the name. I hate the name. I've always hated that name. But yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. How was it working with... Uh... Uh, it was like a bad marriage. <laughs> <laughs> You tried, you tried, you tried, and it had its moment, it had its good moment, and you just keep trying, and it just doesn't work, and, and you just reach a point to where it's like you got to get that divorce, and that's what happened. <laughs> I'm trying, I don't want to say too many bad, I don't want to say too many negative things because, you know, he's not here to defend himself, and yeah. that's not fair. It's not fair at you know? all. No. But, but the best way to say it is that it was like a bad marriage. It had its good moments, but it had a lot of bad moments as well. <laughs> Who, whose idea the name you guys did, Cream Team? Yeah, 
And we were we had a manager at the time, and he was a really good manager. And he actually did work as a manager. His name was Don Peacock, and he looked like a real slime ball. I mean, the, the name sounds like a slime ball name. I mean, anything with the, the word cocky in it. Sounds like a bad adult film star. <laughs> but he actually did get us bookings and, and he really worked hard for us and we're getting these bookings but we didn't have a name so we're trying to come up with these names you know and Rock suggests something and Dave would suggest something and I remember we were sitting in this, this van this white van and I was sitting in the back seat and we we're on our way to the show and we had to come up with a name and Dirty Don that's what we called him Dirty Don he said oh, I'm at the cream team and Dave was like yeah I like that and I was like oh gosh <laughs> I just said, really? They're like, yeah. Once we're done, uh, we're the cream of the crop. And when we're done creaming our opponents, we go back and cream their old ladies. I was like, gosh, this is so so disgusting. And I was like, I just didn't like it. I hated it. But, you know, I was also the kind of guy that didn't want to fight too much when there's other people involved and so that could be wrong it's my motto and I I just couldn't think of anything I was like yeah sure okay so we went with the name and it stuck I hated that name it just sounded so weird to me I never did like it (laughs) but then she did well Dirty Don came up with it Dave agreed to it he thought it was great I agreed to it but I thought it was hard (laughs) (laughs) my gosh take it back in the car yeah whatever we'll just go with it who cares Bad. Because it wasn't long after that where there was like a scandal going on with the WWF involving um, Pat Patterson, Bill Phillip, and Perry Garvin, and somehow they all there was a sex scandal going on, mm. and they were nicknamed. And that that didn't bode too well, but nonetheless the wheels were turning and things were already set in motion, and we couldn't go back. So we already established that at that point. Yeah, I remember that on um, Pat Patterson's story and all that. You don't remember it? No, I do. Like, I remember a lot of things. Yeah. So it was great having you on. Oh, it was fun. It was my pleasure. I would love to um, get you back on at some time and bring up more stories and have some more fun. That's cool. In the- oh, yeah. Anything that I spoke of that you want me to elaborate more on, feel free to give me a call back and yeah. I'll do it. But yeah, it was, yeah. Hope it was interesting. For- yeah, didn't you say this was your first? My first? Yeah, first interview? Uh, first um, podcast? I'm trying to think now. Um, I, Ricky Blues. Do you remember a guy named Ricky Blues? I think so, yeah. Because I'm an old school guy. Yeah, he, he, did a, he did an interview thing with me. So. Uh, six years ago, I totally forgot about it. So I think it's my second one. Oh, cool! <laughs> that one still, still, that we will love to look for it and check it out because that's what we yeah, do. We um, like we like looking up cool stories and hope to hear it later on. Yeah, there's, there's, it's called CIN. CIN Network. CIN Network is what they were called. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I'll look them up. And here's the time to end our show. I am DB Richards alongside. I'm Dave Kinner, and we've been talking to Rip Sawyer. And we'll see you. We'll see you in the ring. Thank you. This is What a Man, Rip Sawyer, and you're listening to 2300 Wrestling. Yeah, 2300 Wrestling. Yeah.